2: What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to One Two Punch. Player one, Shaquille Madjuri. Player two, not quite as big, John Franklin. How's it going, man? Thanks for making the time today.
3: It's going fantastic. We're back uh, with live UFC events. We got three of them coming up, Ugh, so no uh, I'm doing great. I know. It's exhausting if you do what we do, but it's, it's fun. Exactly. Good to have MMA back.
2: Yes, I'm looking forward to the fights. I'm sure the crowd is too. So let's get right to it, guys. Welcome to One Two Punch. If you're a regular listener on YouTube or on our podcast-only platforms, thanks so much for being back. If this is your first time, maybe John brought you along for the ride, let me give you a quick rundown of how things work. This is One Two Punch. It's news talk. You've heard it before, but on a win-lose-draw system, what that means is we're going to highlight some of the week's biggest winners, some of the week's biggest losers, and then draw up a little preview for UFC Fight Island 7. Now, let me hit this animated intro. I gotta say it or I'll forget to do it. (laughs) Boom. Just some quick notes before we get rolling. Uh, Guys, if you can please hit subscribe, tap that notification bell, leave a like on this video. All that goes a tremendous way to helping us do what we do. And we really do appreciate it. Please hit us up in the live chat. I know we were a little late on uh, getting the memo out. Hopefully you guys can make it. We'll get to all your questions, all your comments. If you care to leave a super chat donation, Leave a dollar, leave a thousand. I've got my preference, but it's all good either way. That also goes a long way to helping us out here. Okay, enough of me shilling. John, let's get right to it. Um, This is the biggest story, and it actually ties in, I think, and it kind of ties into our losers of the week first. But let's start here with uh, the news that USADA is going to ease up on um, their marijuana violations. Now, it's, it's a little confusing because the UFC, as well as, um, excuse me, USADA have announced that they're not going to be sort of uh, on people for cannabis violations the way they used to be. But it's usually the Nevada State Athletic Commission that like doles out the punishment. So I don't quite know yet if USADA will stop reporting the doping violations for marijuana to the Nevada State Athletic Commission or if it's just in their own little rule book that it's not going to mean as much. But I think what's meatier is that the California State Athletic Commission has also now announced they will no longer be uh, doling out violations and penalties for marijuana users um, who test positive on fight night. How nice is it to see that uh, the likes of Nate Diaz can smoke without any fear (laughs) of consequences moving forward?
3: I think it's pretty exciting. You know, I, I think, and this is not to say this is the way you look at it, but I think on the surface level, that's what it is, right? All these guys that we know to be sort of the the, the the marijuana folks in MMA, now we don't have to worry about them getting popped. I think the deeper level to this might be that, you know, does this help now with recovery? Because there's a lot of people who use it for pain and things like that. So does this now become something where it's a lot um, more open to that? I mean, we've seen people in the past the, the name that pops into my head the most is Ricky Williams, former running back in the NFL, whose whole career was taken from him based on using this, and he said that he used it for pain. So for me, I, I think it's exciting from that perspective, but also with it getting legalized all throughout the, you know, the United States certainly and all over the world, it just makes sense.
2: Yes, and this is where I'll give my uh, gen- general reminder to U.S. Customs that as a Canadian, uh, I have never done. Anything, even mildly illegal, and you don't have to worry when I roll through the border. Thank you very much, U.S. federal <laughs> government. Legalized pot. Okay. Um, so you're right. There's there's actually a lot of layers to this. One thing that for me is um, very important is assuming the Nevada State Athletic Commission, maybe the New York Commission, follows suit with uh, California, you saw the UFC's lead, and, and, and sort of stops – Uh, handing out violations for marijuana use are we going to see some of these fines and these suspensions retroactively um, you know forgiven my hunch would be no because the Nevada State Athletic Commission are from my understanding full of creepy uh, greedy goons (laughs) but do you think this is going to give any solace to people who've tested positive in the past or is it just going to be easier for them moving forward
3: well, you know, as I was looking at some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about, you know, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but you know, these things tend to happen, and it's all luck, right? It's like the it's like the the discussion now between boomers and millennials. Boomers are like, why can't you guys buy a house? Millennials are like, well, they're not eleven thousand dollars like they were when you were twenty. So I think that you just happen things happen when they happen, you know. And and I think that um, timing is everything. If 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 not to get. Trust me not to get too political here. But if Joe Biden wants to forgive a bunch of student loans and you just paid yours off, well, that sucks. But it's better for everyone if that happens, if that's what you believe. So I think that some guys are going to uh, wish they had been born later. But some guys wish they were born later for a lot of reasons, like, you know, who the champion of their division is and how much money they get paid.
2: Let's go to uh, Caleb in the chat who wants to remind me that I should have kept my own my old Twitter handle. I respectfully disagree. You know, sometimes we go through a bit of an identity crisis, but I feel like Shaq Fu ties into the combat sports world a little more. I like that there's a pun there. I just wish I could get rid of that damn underscore. What are you going to do? Um, Joseph Boza also chimes in, of course, you saw it as easing up on weed. Jeff Nowitzki said it's because uh, the U.S.... The US Home base for most of 2021 will be the Apex. They need fighters. I think it will change once touring resumes. Uh, I can't imagine them now going back after sort of moving forward on this. But I, I do get where he's coming from. Big W for Nate Diaz. And honestly, a whole lot of other fighters, dude. Like I I, I, I was doing an interview with a fighter yesterday. Maybe you'll, you'll catch it when the eventual video series comes out. But dude seemed High as a kite, <laughs> like <laughs> eyes all closed up, laughing at everything. Uh, it was a fun time. And then Caleb also says, "Is it you saw it itself or the commissions? Because they can't decide on one rule set. They won't agree on weed." Yeah, this is the thing. For me, ultimately, we, like we have known for a quite a long time that marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. We've known for quite a long time that uh, just because of the way that the metabolites sort of they're kind of like fat-soluble. They stick to fat in your body. It takes longer for it to go out of your system than, say, perhaps synthetic drugs like cocaine. So, like, this is a new information. Um, what was really the motivating factor for it? I, if Jeff Nowitzki... i didn't read the entire statement. Jeff Nowitzki says it's because of Vegas or their home base. I believe that, but I don't think... This change was meant, made now because they just realized it's not a big deal to smoke weed, right? Like, uh, the commissions have been lining their pockets with money from these violations for a really long time now. Uh, and, you know, like you said, slow is, change, change is very slow to happen. So we're here now. We should have been here a long while ago. But like you said, you know, uh, fighters can collectively smoke up and have a little peace of mind now, hopefully. <laughs> um, okay, John. John. Do you have any losers you are sorry, any winners you wanted to highlight? I'm, I'm all over the place today uh, before we get on with some of my winners.
3: You know, I didn't want to get too deep into this because I'm not exactly sure. So I'll, I'll do one and then a couple other just quick ones because sure. Jessica, I and Joanne Calderwood are winners because they're the third fight down from Connor and Poirier. Mm-hmm. So anytime you're on that card and you're involved in all that, I mean, they've, they're have no stranger to big fights. But I mean, when you're involved in a Connor fight, it's different. I was going to give it to the hooker Chandler. Fight, uh, but they're already, you know, those guys are already in their ascension. They're already in the top five. I think it's a big spot for I Calderwood. The one thing I can't quite figure out yet is who's going to be the winner and the loser in all this Dustin, Connor, Khabib mm-hmm. business. Khabib's meeting with Dana. If Khabib looks Dana in the face and says, I no longer want to fight, well, then obviously Dustin and Connor are winners because they might be fighting for a belt, you know, a week from now. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure about that situation. I think Khabib's going to come out a winner because a picture was just tweeted of him and D Thomas and Matt Sarah right in front of a big Eagle fighting championship sign. So I think Khabib's playing his cards, right?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I can imagine a scenario where Dana White says, you know, we will go all in on Eagle fighting championships contingent on the fact that you fight one more time. I think that's probably the most likely outcome of all this. Now, whether or not it happens, I don't know. I don't know where Habib sort of, weighs the values of his of his parents' wishes compared to his new business. Um, we don't know how conversations may have gone with his mom since then, because that was a, you know, Habib's dad wanted Habib to get to 30-0. It was Habib's mom who didn't want Habib to fight uh, after Habib's father's passing. So we'll see. It, it's huge. Uh, honestly, I think the real key to this puzzle is where's Habib's mom at? Because I think that is what he holds most dear to him right now. Uh, And I think you're right in the sense that if Habib chooses not to return, even if he does, either way, it, it's clear that Habib is on his way out, right? If it's not now, it's one fight from now. And from there on, really all of Lightweight is a winner because it really opens up the division for new matchups, new champions. Because, you know, the Justin Gaethjes, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor's of the world have all been, like, very competitive. It's Habib who's sort of been the exception to that rule. So I think... Whether his exit is now or later, when it does come, it's going to offer a whole lot of new possibilities at lightweight. So, uh, fingers crossed for Dustin and Conor, I guess, that Habib doesn't come back.
3: Well, and real quickly, I mean, if you look at how that changes, like how that, how that sort of uh, situation next weekend changes based on the lightweight belt being dropped in the middle of it.
2: Yeah. Agreed completely. Okay, let's touch on a couple other winners that I've got real quick. First of all, Santiago Ponzinibbio is fighting, uh, taking on Li Jing Li Liang at UFC Fight Island Seven this Saturday, and Santiago, sort of the pride of Argentina in the fight game. This is this is one of my favorite fighters, um, and man, he looked like he was really revving for a special run at welterweight, possibly inserting himself like he wasn't at. Uh, true title contender status but he was one fight away from it right if you look at his pro record he's 27 and 3 15 knockouts six submission wins currently riding a seven fight win streak knockout of neil magny who's fighting in a main event on wednesday decision win over mike perry knockout of Gunnar nelson like this guy is so damn good and unfortunately he hasn't fought since november of 2018 that's more than a two-year layoff I'm not quite sure what his health issues were. I know at some point um, doctors told him that he may never be able to fight again. It seems like it was a a staph infection. So he had a staph infection that almost derailed his entire career. It's good to see him back, but we never quite know what happens with long layoffs like this, right? They they might pick up where they left off. They might have, um, you know, there might be like a one-fight recalibration period, or some of the guys just never seem to be able to get back to where they were. With what limited knowledge you have of this situation, how do you think Santiago is going to perform at this stage of his career? I mean,
3: he's a gamer, right? I mean, this kid shows up. I, I look at guys and I say, okay, anybody can accomplish certain things. The big thing about Vitor Belfort for a long time, and obviously you guys can tell by the gray in the hair, that I always tend to, to look further back than most when I talk about uh, fights. But the big thing on Vitor Belfort for a while was, yeah, he loses, but he only loses to Hall of Famers. When you look at Ponzinibbio, I mean, he does things that people just don't do. Yeah. Like when you finish Neil Magny, okay, here's the list of people that have finished Neil Magny. Rafael dos Anjos, Lorenz Larkin, Damian Maya. That's, That's not a bunch of nobodies, right? So this guy does things that, you know, when all things are equal and you're trying to assess a fighter, what does he do that others don't? The, the, the really thing that interests me the most, and we can't play the what-ifs, even though you and I tend to play the what-ifs on our vision set of May, um, he had a fight schedule with Kamaru Usman got injured. Fight schedule with Robbie Lawler got injured. Man, if we got those fights, how are we looking at this guy differently? If, you know, the, you know, if, if injuries and fate didn't intervene, I think he's a hell of a fighter. I expect him to come back and pick up right where he left off. He doesn't seem like a guy that needs to sort of you know, work out the kinks. I think he's gonna be ready to go.
2: Yeah, and I know Lee Jingliang of the leech was a, it's kind of a short-notice replacement fight for Ponzinibbio, but I think it's a damn good one. Uh, Jing Liang is one of these guys who, one moment, he seems like he could potentially be a real serious problem in the division. And then the next moment, he really falls short. It's like every time you expect him to win, he doesn't. And every time you expect him to lose, he wins. So I think it's probably the right kind of challenge, like a game opponent, but one that uh, Santiago Ponzanibio who still you know, ready for a crack at the ranked fighters, should be able to beat pretty handedly. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And what you said really ties in nicely to what Joseph Boza says. Uh, he writes to me, if not for Santiago's health scare, Kamar Usman may not have beaten T-Wood to win the welterweight championship. It's like you said, you know, what if? What if that Usman versus Ponzinibbio fight happened? It could have shaken up the entire division. And who knows? Maybe. Well, uh, maybe Santiago wouldn't have had the answer for Woodley. Maybe we'd still be living in a world where Woodley was a champ or Colby Covington could have been champ as a consequence. There's, it's like you like to do on Revisionist History. There's so many possibilities that these little things turn out just a smidge different.
3: Well, and the other thing that you got to think about with, with a guy like this is that at least if we got the Usman fight, even if he didn't win it, and Kamaru Usman still ascends, a lot of questions are going to be answered. Yeah. So I, I think even with this fight, it's still kind of in that same level where I still will have questions at the end of it. I want him to get this fight out of the way, so I can see him against top five competition. Yes. See what we really have. He's thirty four. He's no young. There's you know, no spring chicken. So it's got. He's got to get moving.
2: How far up the division do you think he gets with a good performance tonight? I could see him. I feel like he's not going to get a top five guy right off the bat, unless there's someone on a bad losing streak, like a Woodley or something, perhaps. I don't even know. Let me see what the rankings are. Um, I think. He, I think
3: definitely top ten. I mean, that's yeah.
2: I would actually think right off the bat because he's currently not ranked. I think. The loser of Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny would make sense. I guess it'd have to be if Michael Chiesa loses. Um, you could make Santiago versus Michael Chiesa. I'd also be interested in Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Jeff Neal. Santiago- I don't want to see San- uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Vicente Luque, even though that would basically set up your next big potential top 10 threat. I just really like both those guys and don't want to see either of them lose. So.
3: I think you're going to find out a lot about what the UFC thinks about Ponsonibbio based on how they match him up Agreed. next. If they put him in there with somebody that we know they like, like Jeff Neal or, you know, some of these guys, Chima, I mean, obviously he's not going to with Chima, But if it's someone like that, where you know you know the UFC wants them to go, uh, wants them to ascend, then you'll know how they feel about him.
2: Yeah, and I have a feeling he's in, probably in good favor with the promotion just because, you know, he's that one big fighter out of Argentina, uh, it's it's an important demo for the UFC, I imagine. And on that note, let's move on to another guy who I basically never want to see lose. And someone who's, uh, weird to say, based the cocktease of UFC as far as I'm concerned. And that is Ryan Hall. Finally, finally has a fight booked against Dan Ige. One of the most intriguing fighters at featherweight because he's got such a weird style. It's a two-dimension style that has thus far served him very well but it's hard to put your finger on right because like Ryan Hall obviously this enormous submission threat who's now added these weird spinning kicks to his arsenal that basically puts him in two ranges against his opponent either at a long kicking range or right up close for grappling encounters so it basically eliminates boxing and Muay Thai from MMA it's a really weird style and look It worked against Darren Elkins, it worked against BJ Penn, worked against Gray Maynard, worked against Artem Lobov. Although this new style is more of a Darren Elkins sort of timeline, and a BJ Penn timeline. But those aren't the fights that are going to give you answers about what Ryan Hall's upper limit is with the style. But it's weird because, in theory, it's threatening enough that no legitimate top guy will accept a fight against him. And here we have Dan Ige, who I think makes a world sense. He just fought Calvin Cater, who's in a main event on Saturday. He's, without a doubt, a top 10 quality guy. And I hope, I really hope this fight happens, because Ryan Hall is not getting any younger. He's 35 years old. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't have a ton of damage on him. But uh, do you think this is where the laboratory experiment of Ryan Hall hits a snag or do you think this sort of style will be effective against a guy like Dan Ige? I
3: I think in the end the style will be effective. The thing I find interesting about Dan Ige is he's one of these guys that when I see him I think that he's more like a guy that in 20 years is going to be like an MMA kingmaker like that he used to fight because he talks about like, you know, doing business with Ali and learning from me seems more like a guy who fighting is his entry to something larger or being an agent or whatever. But he does bring the fight and he's an overachiever. And I think that that's where it's interesting for me. The thing with Ryan Hall is like you said, we don't get answers with those four fights because all those guys with maybe the exception of Elkins were shells of themselves Mm -hmm. when they fought Ryan Hall. I think that the, the play for someone, you know, a lot of guys, Kamzat Shamaya has taken this before, Damian Maia has taken this before, where you have the boogeyman, right? The guy that no one wants to fight, the guy that everybody thinks is maybe a better, uh, is like a horrible stylistic matchup. I think the reason why a lot of people don't want to fight Ryan Hall is because the upside yes. doesn't outweigh, the roar doesn't outweigh the risk. And I think that the way to sort of, you know, we talk, you don't know, have talked about this before. We talk about a lot of early stoppage on Fight Night Picks is um, going into business for yourself. If you really think that you can beat Ryan Hall, then you need to get out there in these Twitter streets and talk him up, yeah. and say this guy. Nobody wants to fight this guy. I'm going to fight this guy. I think that's the only way to get to get the most. Uh, you know, you talk about is the juice yeah. worth the squeeze. That's how you get the most juice out of Ryan Hall. You got to let the world know what is. the inside game knows. Right? Everybody on the inside knows how good Ryan Hall is, but the casuals don't. So you lose to Ryan Hall, and they're like, "Here's this unassuming guy. He kind of looks like Jake Cutler. He's bored with the whole thing." And it's like let them, let him let them know what you're accomplishing. Yeah, right. Let them know what you're what you're about to do. I think that's the secret to Ryan Hall.
2: I have a bad, I, and I think this is a great matchup. In fact, Ryan Hall was supposed to fight Ricardo Lamas uh, before that fight fell through. I think this is probably a bigger fight for Ryan, and I really hope this is the start. of... I think if he beats Dan Ige, you can then justify fighting him if you're a guy in the top fifteen-ish of the division, like you said. BJ Penn, Darren Elkins doesn't do a whole lot, especially because Ryan's just such a... In terms of his expression, his outward expression, he's like a sloth of a human being. He is beyond chill. He's the sort of guy that, if he doesn't, you think would benefit tremendously from USADA's lax weed policies. And, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm really excited for this. I hope it pans out. I think it will add an interesting new wrinkle to Featherweight. Um, But I have to say... As much as I've talked to Ryan before, I really like him. I personally, as a guy who practices jujitsu and loves weird, funky styles in MMA, I'm a big fan, but I have a bad feeling about what his upper ceiling potential is because, perhaps with the exception of Habib, um, no, no, that's not even true. You know what? We're seeing a return of specialists in MMA, Israel Adesanya's kickboxing specialty, Um, Habib's grappling specialty but those guys are still very multi-dimensional right um habib has shored up his boxing enough to the point where he can stand with uh stand with Ally quinta knock down conor mcgregor and that's in big part because of his grappling threat but i'd like to see more than just iminari rolls and spinning kicks from ryan hall because when you so clearly, and maybe this is just my amateur sort of extrapolation of MMA. When you so clearly only have a couple things going for you, I fear you'll eventually get to the Ben Askren point where these other guys in the division have shored up their defense enough that they can avoid your biggest threats and then overwhelm you with their diversity. So I hope in the Dan Ige fight, we see him get tested a bit and we get a sense of what he can do beyond just spinning kicks and jujitsu, because i don't know if that'll cut it at the very highest level
3: and like we said you know when you got when you see a guy that's that that looks that disinterested it's hard <laughs> to feel like what you did was an accomplishment Like, is it, like does the fans are looking at like this guy doesn't look like he wants to be here you beat him great i think i'm not a fan of MMA math but i think that some connections can be drawn if he wins this Ege fight to say okay he beat Ege. Ige went long with Cater. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you start to make those connections, I don't think they're great for, for, um, for predicting fights, MMA math. But I do think they're good for promoting fights. And I think that if you're going to start building a case for Ryan Hall, it's
2: you know, there. winning
3: over Barbosa, winning over Bektic, uh, going long with uh, Cater. Those are all things Ige did, and now yeah. Ryan Hall took this guy out. So maybe you can have Ryan Hall assume a little bit of Ige's, quote, legacy, I guess.
2: I agree. I think this is a really good matchup for both guys. Okay, uh, let's go head to the losers because we're starting to run out of time a little bit here. Um, I actually want to start with uh, one of my secondary points just because it ties in uh, to the U- you saw it in the UFC adopting this new stance on marijuana. Um, poor Bevon Lewis. Two days, two days. Top. Maybe it was even one, one, one or two days before. I think it was one actually. One day before the UFC, and you saw it come out with this uh, notice that they won't be, uh, you know, pe- penalizing people for smoking weed or having cannabis in their system. Poor Bevon Lewis gets hit with a suspension until May and about fifteen hundred dollars in fines from the Nevada State Athletic Commission. How bummed do you think that guy must be?
3: He's super bummed, and you know, I- I'll say this: you know, my my old man was a was a military guy who was a sailor so this is a this is definitely a dad statement 100 but he used to say close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades i think with bevon lewis close should count like i think he's he's the one guy that you say let's let's get a little pr here and say all right listen we just we probably decided this before we penalized you you're not the guy to make an example of here or or you're the guy to make a positive example of just say listen we changed our minds and pull him into the if you're going to grandfather anybody Grandfather him because now he becomes this. He's not someone who has enough going on that he can just overcome this. Right? It's better that you that you give him something to be happy about and have a positive story. I think that you pull him in.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea
3: yeah, if they don't, again, timing's everything in life, and and you know the guy that takes the short notice fight or the guy that that says yes when yeah. everyone else is saying no. Sometimes it works out in your favor, and it, it, I think it would really suck if if they upheld this and and he was um he was not grandfathered in.
2: I agree. Um, okay, let's move on to the big one, and uh, you know, guys, when we say, and I've made this uh, I've made the statement a million times on this show, but when we say. Winners and losers. We're not explicitly, sometimes we are, but generally we're (laughs) not calling people individually losers. It's just a matter of sort of the quality of the week they've had. And this one's complicated to me, but in terms of sort of adversity faced in life, you can't help but put Spencer Fisher in the down category this week. MMA Fighting Stephen Morocco does a truly, truly tremendous... Long form piece on Spencer Fisher, who at one point was an enormous uh, UFC favorite. From you know from upper brass, Dana White, multiple times labeled him as one of his favorite fighters. Um, really fallen on hard times. Uh, brain damage, CTE, loses a bunch, lost all his money, having trouble keeping his thoughts together. It was really a sad piece to read. And basically, you know, after a bit of initial support, it's kind of been left in the dust by the promotion. And Dana White comes out, gives a statement like, eh, it's fighting, it's going to happen, won't be the first, won't be the last. Uh, I'm going to give Spencer a bit of a subsequent up for getting the story out there. I know for a long time he didn't want to talk about it, and I got to commend him for finally uh, deciding he was ready to move forward and speak publicly on it. Because we can't let stories like this just sort of fall by the wayside in MMA, you know, um, there's a vocal por- – and I I like to hope it's a minority, but there's a portion of MMA fans yeah. who are basically – when it comes to fighters' rights, they're like, you know, when I say jump, you say how high, right? They want fighters to bleed. They want fighters to break. But they don't want fighters to get anything out of it. And it's always been really obscure to me. Um, what did you sort of make of Spencer Fisher's story?
3: Well, it's a difficult story because it, it makes – the people that really can be um, agents of change uh, have to have an uncomfortable conversation, right? And the agents of change are guys who are not facing this right now, who are young fighters in their primes, Conor McGregor, computer Magomedov. Madoff. These are the guys that can maybe make this change occur. And they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about that part of their career when they get retired. And, and, you know, same thing with NFL players. No one wants to deal with the fact that there's some inherent danger in, in, in football, what, what come of it. With that all being said, I think the reason why journalism at its highest form exists is for things like this. And when you're Stephen Morocco and you put all the time into this article that you did. Seven the years response, or something. And the response that you get from it was, well, yeah, I got some of that too, says Dana White. Dana White, you're not Spencer Fisher. And don't put yourself in the same category with him. It's the Spencer Fishers of the promotion that built the promotion which is why people care about performance bonuses and the, the way that Spencer Fisher fought. And who This kid fought everybody. I mean, he fought, you know, Calhoun. I mean, he, you can t- there's a whole generation of MMA that you could tell a story just through Spencer Fisher's fights. And I think that, that he needs to be taken a little more seriously with this and not just dismissed. But when you're, if you're Dana White again, and not defending him, I'm just speaking from a businessman's mm-hmm. perspective, that, you know, you're opening a can of worms here. Like once I, if I... I think that the, that the the least you can do for Spencer Fisher, because listen, you are on a uh, a channel or a, a content provider that deals with wrestling, right? Yeah. When these guys get these hits to the head, you know, we might be looking at Chris Jericho here in Spencer Fisher. You don't know what we're dealing with. We're looking at Junior Seau. We don't want this story to get even worse. So bring this guy in and make sure that you know he works at the UFCPI. He's getting his bet. Like, do something with Spencer Fisher to turn this into into positive pr not just yeah i dealt with some stuff too dude you taught boxer size and you you know you train with some guys you were gonna spar with tito i'm not saying dana white's not got his teeth rattled a few times in his life but not to the extent spencer fisher no, has. it's
2: it's honestly a little offensive for him to come and i mean I, I not that i have a right to be offensive offended but like come on dude as, as someone in the ufc president who Uh, often touts how these fighters are the toughest people on the planet, yada. It's funny because I remember a time when uh, uh, some of my colleagues in the media were getting, you know, for a lack of a better term, sorry if this upsets any of you guys, their panties all twisted over the idea that, uh, you know, Dana White says, oh, these media guys are just wannabe fighters, wannabe cuff guys. They write about it because they could never do it. Dana, you're kind of doing the same thing when you start comparing yourself and your combat sports experience to that of these professional fighters. It's it's super silly. It's super twisted. And anyone who's sort of been following this saga of Dana White and fighters in the media for a long time can see through it pretty clearly. Um, but yeah, I, I know it's a down for Spencer Fisher because unfortunately he hasn't gotten the kind of support that he should have gotten throughout his career and afterwards but uh big up to the man for finally coming forward with this information okay uh last one on the loser section before we get on to our preview uh ufc president dana white doubles down that he's got some ooh surprises in store for illegal streamers uh look as far as i'm concerned you know he might be able to hit a couple of these distributors, put them in jail, find them more than more money than they ever could possess. Illegal streaming is not going anywhere anytime soon. Additionally, I'm of the belief that you know it's a m- small percentage of your fan base are people streaming the shows. Uh what do you think? Why do you, I mean? Maybe he's done the metrics, but why do you think Dana White is going so hard in on the streamer thing? And do you think for the most part? It's just a puff of smoke because, A, I don't see him winning the war against illegal streaming. And B, I'd argue that as long as it's not taking a big chunk of your revenue, you're actually probably gaining more fans in the long term by allowing people to just view your broadcast.
3: So I'll answer it this way. And let's spin this. Let's connect this to Spencer Fisher because for this reason. Okay. Because I think that it's a little bit disconcerting when the president of the NFC spends more time on illegal streaming in a week than he does on a former yeah. fighter who's battling CTE. That's a problem in and of itself. But now let's look at it from his perspective with Spencer Fisher. If you open up that can of worms, it's going to cost you money, right? So there's, there, there could be 50 Spencer Fishers out there, right? So you're opening up this can of worms with the other thing. It's kind of like the prison thing or like, you know, I was in the military. What happens is you, you make a decision early on where you go, okay, who do I have to beat up so I don't have to beat up anybody anymore? If I beat up one guy very publicly, the fights, I don't have to deal with everybody. Right. And you know, you go out to a bar one night, you find a guy and that's that. And then you just have this legacy that lives with you for the entire time you're in the military. Or like, uh,
2: or like John Franklin, I bet you no fifth grader dares challenge him (laughs) for a spelling bee championship.
3: (laughs) See, once you win one spelling bee championship, no one ever wants to try you again. Uh, No, I think that this is what, that's what this is. If he, if he, if he makes enough noise and takes out makes an example of a few people, he might solve a problem. You know, uh, jailing or finding one guy might stop fifty, whereas doing something for Spencer Fisher might start fifty. Yeah, and I think that he's it's just a, it's a dollars and cents thing with Dana, unfortunately, which a lot of these things are.
2: Yeah, I I I, I, I see what you mean too, and there's no real risk for him doing so, but I just. It's just weird to me. Like, ultimately, I, I don't think he's going to do much of anything to put a dent in the legal streaming. I just don't think it's possible. Um, these guys are always too. You know, if they get held back, they're gonna take it for a leap forward. Streaming is always becoming more advanced. Now you can, you know, you don't even have to uh, stream. Not, not that I'm, not that I know this. I just read up on stuff. Um, you don't even have to like click through a bunch of ads to stream anymore. You can get you can install players and get streaming codes and just copy and paste them into independent software on your computer. Like the stuff's always getting more advanced. Um, but I, well, listen,
3: it, and let me just say one thing. And I may have mentioned this last time you were on vision. MA. if not, I'll bring it up here, but like, you know, listen, you again are on a channel that has MA and wrestling. Mm-hmm. So here's my thing with Dana, right? This whole thing of like, he has to give us so much content, so much content, right? Meanwhile, boxing, would charge you for a pay-per-view on Saturday, show the fight the next Saturday on HBO, ne- never cared about that for 20 years when they were on HBO. You know, Vince McMahon, you get the, uh, you get the, uh, the OTT service, you get the pay-per-views free. Like, all these N- NBA gives you games. They're on basic cable. They're on regular cable. I just don't understand why he's trying so difficult. Yeah. Or trying so hard to get money out of everybody. Yeah. And I think that for me, here's the answer, Dana. You want the answer, here's the answer. Take a, take a note from the WWE. Bring back Pride, bring back Strike Force. You own them all. Show Strike Force and Pride events on off UFC weeks. So instead of having a back to back UFC, yeah. do a UFC and then a pride. At the end of the year, put everybody on one card. Yeah. There you go. That way you can diversify your product and not make us feel like we're watching the same thing
2: every week. Well, and it, it's a really good point. And Joseph Boza rightfully chimes in on the chat, says this reeks of Dana being desperate to make money off UFC 257. Uh, it's true. And that, you know, hopefully fans will be hosting parties and stuff. Uh, although, guys, social distance. Um, you're right. They're like he's he's they've upped the price on ESPN+. They have, uh, from my understanding, ESPN Plus is now going to start exclusively um, hosting UFC cards in Canada, too. I I think I read from um, our good friend Aaron Bronstetter that that'll be the case starting this Saturday. Uh, But I agree with you because the HBO model to me, and I don't know about this. I'd have to look into the statistics of it. It makes a lot of sense because there's a really small portion of your diehard fans that care enough to um watch pay to watch something that's no longer live like half most of the fun of paying for a UFC pay-per-view or a fight night event is watching it live you know there are days where i haven't been you know before i was working on saturdays covering them where i would miss a fight and then i would swear off social media for one or two days just so i could watch it spoiler free But it doesn't feel the same. When you know that it's already happened, you don't get the same rush. You don't get the same excitement. There's this abstract buzz in the air that you know that everyone else in the world who's watching this right now is sharing in the mystery and the fun of it with you. So the idea of, you know, I don't think by broadcasting the show for free one week after, you're going to lose a lot of money. Because I don't think most people, especially the majority of your casual audience, Cares enough to not pay just to see it a week late, right? That's all the, the whole fun of live events is the live part of it.
3: Yeah, it's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to watch any sporting event when you know the outcome. Yeah, and I think I want to give special props to Joseph Bosa on this one because he saw something that I didn't even see, which is and again, I don't get overly political, but I, I am fascinated with politics, so I bring things in here where, they, where I find them applicable. Dana's a lot like Trump in this respect, he says what he has to say when he has to say it, mm-hmm. and he has to say this week. I'm going after streamers because I got a huge card coming up. Yeah. So I think Joseph not nailed that. He may not do a single thing after the Conor Poirier fight, but he wants to make that money by scaring everybody off from that fight. What he does in the long term, who knows? He might change his mind a week later, but I think I definitely think it's a UFC 257 play and props to Joseph for picking up on that.
2: Okay. Uh, let's, as we, I'm seeing that we're running short on time here and I have a sneaking suspicion you and I could just go on and on and on. <laughs> so, Let's move on to the uh preview portion just for we'll probably go for like 10 minutes. Is that okay with you, John? Works for me. Okay. Uh one quick reminder before we do guys. Please if you can hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video. Uh just some fun things that are in the works right now for next week. We already have former ATT coach and star of Daniel Whites looking for a fight Dean Thomas. Ranking Dustin Poirier's greatest opponents in a tier list. Sean Ross Sapp and I did one for Max Holloway as well. Uh, The plan right now for an early next week is to have one of those tier lists for Conor McGregor's opponents. Plus, the one I'm most excited about, we're getting a bunch of MMA fighters to watch and react to some of Conor McGregor's best trash talk. Keep an eye out for that. Um, Otherwise, guys, you've been super lively in the chat, so we thank you for being a part of the show, if you don't mind little super chat donation warms the heart on a still relatively cold day in Vancouver, Canada. Okay, let's move on to the preview portion. Just briefly, a few topics. First thing, main event. This is a damn good main event, and I think the UFC nailed not just the matchmaking, but putting this on as the headliner for their first ever network uh, television card on ABC. Not the first ever network television card, but the first one on ABC. Max Holloway, Calvin Cater. uh, We're not going to get into who you think is going to win or how you think the fight's going to go. But what I want to ask you, John, is who has the bigger upside? Who will be able to parlay a victory here into bigger success next time around? Is it Max Holloway or is it Calvin Cater?
3: I don't want to say the obvious answer is Calvin Cater, but I feel like the
2: obvious answer is Calvin
3: Cater because... Holloway's already a guy, right? His, his star has already been established. There are some that think he's the featherweight goat. So obviously, Cater defeating the featherweight goat would, would be, do an, an immense amount to improve his future prospects. Here's the thing real quick. Di, I have a little checklist. and it, it's, it, it, There's more to it, but I'll give you four quick ones. Okay? This is the UFC's unofficial John Franklin checklist for greatness. Okay, number one. Can you win a fight you shouldn't win? Jeremy Stevens. So Cater, check that box. Can you handle adversity? Lost as a beat. Check that box. Can you perform in a big spot? Main event against Egate. Can you perform in a big spot against a big name fighter? That's this one. Yeah. And I think that if he does that, the boxes all start to get checked. And you look at this guy and you go, okay, every time we've asked him, to give us something, has he stumbled? Sure, Anano Maikano, Zabi. Yes, he stumbled. But when we have tested him, he seems to be passing the test. And if he finishes Holloway, forget it. They yeah. might. He might be in the express lane if he finishes Holloway.
2: I well, I think uh, either way, he's in the express lane because when you look, and I agree with you that Calvin Cater has the most uh, to win here because if you look at the way the division is currently matched up. Alexander Volkanovsky, your champ, is fighting Brian Ortega next for the featherweight title. Brian, of course, coming off of uh, a one-sided win against Korean Zombie. Before that, though, handedly being defeated by Max Holloway in just a brutal, brutal fight. What you have here, though, you currently have Cater at six, right? Max Holloway is ranked number one. So if Cater wins, for all intents and purposes, he should be the guy to fight Volkanovsky after Ortega what i think could sort of in fact i think if calvin cater wins volkanovsky or ortega the winner of that fight who are you going to put him up against zabita's been inactive yair rodriguez is basically a mythical unicorn of a fighter at this point you're not going to match up volkanovsky and holloway against this early i mean the fights were close but like come on there's a i think people are getting kind of tired of that fight i know holloway diehards want to see it happen but Bro, they fought for 50 minutes, right? Like, it's not something to revisit right now. So if Holloway wins, his only step up from Cater relies on Ortega beating Volkanovski. Because then you can make Holloway versus Ortega too. It makes a ton of sense. Volkanovski doesn't have enough title defenses to warrant an immediate rematch. Not that that that's ever stopped the UFC. But I think if uh, Ortega beats Volkanovski, the bigger fight without a doubt is Holloway versus Ortega. Because I believe Max is still a bigger overall star. But if Cater wins, Volkanovski or Tega, it doesn't matter. Who are you going to put him up against? Except maybe a rematch against the Beat, a five rounder. But those are basically the only two options, if I'm uh, that I'm aware of. If Cater comes out victorious, so you either got to give him a title shot, or you got to put him up against Zabit and the Beat in a five rounder.
3: You know, and I think it gets interesting because you know we 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 don't see a lot of the Beat, mm-hmm. and I think that it would be interesting to put them back in the situation where. You know, we talk about you know, a lot of times these matchups tell you how they feel about a guy. Yeah. I think that if Cater wins and he doesn't get matched up with Zabit because the fight makes a lot of sense, it'll tell you that that they want to push Cater because yeah. they don't want to give him that obstacle. They're like, you know what? If you two guys are going to fight again, it's going to be for some gold. Yeah. It's not going to be just to get to it. It's so I think a- they'd rather give him a title shot, have him win or lose, and if he wins, then fight Zabit.
2: It's a good problem to have because there's so many interesting combinations in featherweight right now. Like Volkanovski versus Ortega is going to be a banger. And Ortega's submission game always makes things interesting because he's a terrific boxer, um, overall striker at this point. But having that ace in the hole just always presents a threat that you got to be aware of. So that's a fun fight. Cater versus Holloway is a fun fight. Cater against Ortega or Volkanovski would be a fun fight. Holloway versus uh, Ortega would be a fun fight, Zabit in there, Yair Rod in there. Like, look, look. can you name another another division that, that's this exciting, the top 10 of featherweight right now? And in terms of, I'm not saying like quality of the uh, division so much as just fun factor. Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, Zabit Pop Yair Rodriguez, Korean Zombie, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, Jeremy Stevens. That's the top eight like you you can't have a boring fight there
3: you can't and i think the interesting thing about the the fight like all these divisions right they have their moments yeah right there's moments when light heavyweight was at its best and when this i think all these guys are feeling like they're healthy and active and ready to get Mm. after it you know there's no like guy that's got this huge injury that's keep uh, i'm really excited about 45 right now all
2: right uh let's move on for our actually this is our last topic. Um, and one that I'm personally excited about, but more and more I feel like I'm sort of in the minority here. As a as a big proponent of old man fights, as someone who wants to see old guys who are still healthy enough to get in there. Um, I'd rather see them kind of fight each other. Is Carlos Condon versus Matt Brown still worth getting excited about, considering that these guys are truly on the last legs of their career? I think
3: so. And, and here's why I say that. I'm, I'm a, 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 a non-practicing Catholic. So if after I do this, I go to confession and say my Hail Marys, I'll say that. But I mean, could this be Shogun Hendo? Could it be something where these guys just decide that tonight this is a fight the fans have wanted to see for a while and we're going to deliver? Could it be that? I mean, that, those are big shoes to fill, right? And it's going to come together at the right time. Here's the thing. The the most famous Carlos Condit story is the one that Chael Sonnen said, which is where he goes to the military base and the military guy wants to fight him. And, and Carlos Condit says to the guy, I'll hit you as hard as you hit me. The guy hits him and then Carlos Condit knocks him out. Carlos Condit has had his fighting life. I'll hit you as hard as you hit me. And so is Matt Brown. And I think these two guys are guys that take pride in how they fight, not whether they win or lose, how they fight. And they're going to care If they go out there and put on a clunker that matters to them this is their legacy they both have retirement uh whispers i just if this is their last fight even better if they both are planning on retiring after this fight that's going to make for a real banger but i think they care that they put on a good fight and i think that's also how they fight anyway and i think that this is going to be i think it's going to make for a hell of a fight
2: yeah sometimes you notice as these guys start to age out uh that they get kind of gun shy not quite as trigger happy but i do hope that because they both know that the other person doesn't possess the best quality of their skill sets. You know what I mean? Like the Carlos Condit of now and the Matt Brown of today aren't quite the guys they were at their peak that hopefully it encourages them to both go for it. I'm uh, I I'm keeping wishful for a three-round fight of the year candidate that ends in like a unanimous draw. Just so we can see both these guys retire, no one has to take an L. I know that probably won't happen, but I'm still excited for this fight. Obviously, when it comes to the old guys, the biggest concern is always uh, you don't want to see them get seriously hurt if their bodies and their minds can't tolerate it. You know, if they can't put up good defenses, you don't want to see them out there in a dangerous spot. And if their chins have, are, are sort of weathered, you don't want to see them get too hurt. Both these guys, I, I think, are still okay in that sense. Um, but you do want to see him wrap it up soon. I think this is the fight to make, and i've said this a bunch of times on the show i 'll say it again at this point. Carlos Condon and Matt Brown have name value, but putting them up against like a Miguel Beza doesn't do a tremendous amount from it doesn't give Miguel as much of a boost as it hurts Matt Brown, even if Beza's like the next world beater when you feed these legends to guys who have very little name coming to the u f c sure. Those new guys will get some rub, but I think it more so just hurts the Browns and the Condits of the world, right? Like, I like a situation like Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva, where you know Anderson probably shouldn't be in there against Izzy. But the win for Izzy is, you know, it's, it's a co-main spot against a guy who's on the cusp of a title shot. And so there's something meaty to bite into there. I'd rather see Matt Brown and Carlos Condit sort of pool together the star power they have left to put on something fun versus feeding these guys to people who aren't really going to get a big rub off of it.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think these guys have earned the right, uh, you know, Craig and I on, on early stoppage call them poster fights, but you know, they've earned the right to have a fight where if at the end of it, they they take a picture where you'd hang it in their home. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not going to hang a picture with Beza in your home. You're going to hang the picture of the night I fought Matt Brown, the night I fought. Give the guy the moment at least to, to, to bring it back and don't put him in any real danger. Put him in there with somebody, who's, like you said, kind of at where he's at.
2: Okay. That is all the time we have for today. Uh, Quick reminder to everyone, subscribe, like, notification bell, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in on the live chat, for everyone who listens on the audio podcasts. Thank you for holding us down. You make it possible for us to keep doing what we do here. John, uh, you know, repping the Fight Night Picks shirt Can you tell people (laughs) where they can find you and what you're up to.
3: I'm up to Fight Night Picks. Fight Night Picks on YouTube. Me, Craig, Matt. I do recaps. We do vicious MMA. We have some fun with uh, Shaquille. We um, And we do uh, early stoppage. Check it out. Fight Night Picks on YouTube. At SM Cornerman At uh, Craig Allen FMP. Hook it up.
2: And if you want to have some fun with Shaquille, uh, make sure you guys stay tuned for everything Fightful and so delightful right here. Enjoy UFC Fight Island 7. We will have a watch-along together still figuring out the details but remember the card the main card starts at 3 p.m eastern 12 pacific we'll see you then guys take care